and so little time to do it. Uh, it seems like I can never get uh, caught up on what I need to get done. I can never get ahead. And because of that, I feel overwhelmed. And when I get overwhelmed in life, I don't know about you, but I began to make excuses because when I get overwhelmed and I feel pressure coming from all different directions, I just kind of begin to shut down and I don't want to do anything. I start making excuses to myself, not necessarily to others. I procrastinate things that I know have to be done. I get these what seem to be now giant, insurmountable tasks that I just can't get done. Sometimes it feels like all the bills are coming in at the same time, and, and you have debts that you want to pay, and then it feels like everything coming in all at once, I begin to get overwhelmed, and then I begin to make excuses or I begin to shut down. That's my tendency. When I get overwhelmed, I have a tendency to kind of make excuses, and to kind of shut down. I, the pressure of this whole health insurance stuff that we have to work out and figure out, that makes me want get overwhelmed and want to kind of shut down and push everything away. Even trying to navigate family and trying to navigate spending time with your kids and, and, and growing those relationships and things just get more diverse and more complicated as my life goes on. I get overwhelmed in trying to figure it all out and I begin to make excuses. I begin to kind of shut down. I, I sometimes can feel like I'm sinking and all of this pressure that's around me. And no one else may be knowing of the pressure, but it's something I'm feeling inside. Do you have any sense of that for yourself? Maybe in some of your relationships, they get heavy, they get tense, and maybe when that happens, we begin to feel overwhelmed, and we begin to maybe make some excuses for not getting the help or not getting healthy in those relationships because we feel so overwhelmed. It can happen possibly with you at work as well. You can feel the mounting pressure of stress at work, trying to get accomplished what your boss and what the owners are expecting, and then you feeling the pressure to make things happen that just aren't happening. We begin to feel overwhelmed, perhaps, and begin to shut down, maybe even begin to make excuses. When it comes to relationships, we can get so overwhelmed that we might seek uh, some relief from our stress by finding other relationships outside of marriages and outside of where our commitment lies because maybe the stress, we're looking for relief from stress and it can cause us to make excuses and do some really stupid things. It can happen with our time. It can happen with our money. It can happen with the projects that we find ourselves involved with. And it, the, I think for me, it all boils down to this, that we begin to feel overwhelmed. And it makes me want to quit. I don't know about you. When I get too overwhelmed, it makes me just simply want to quit. But here's the right thing. It's okay to want to quit. We just have to learn to quit the right things. I want to quit being overwhelmed. That's what I want to learn how to quit. And this morning we're going to see if we can help move you in that same direction to not quit the things we're involved in life, the places where we need to have our commitments, but we need to quit, learn to find a way to quit being 
overwhelmed. Now let me recap kind of where we've been with the series before because this series is just gently moving in the same direction. Israel, the, the children of Israel, these are the, this is the nation that God has chosen to tell his story to the world, his love story to the world through this nation, them as a living example of, of his love story. Israel constantly turned their back on God. In 605 BC, 605 years before Christ was born, God allowed them to be conquered. That's what we talked about actually uh, the past few weeks. He allowed them to be conquered. He allowed Babylon to demolish Jerusalem, tear down the walls, to, to destroy the temple, and to, to send the people into exile. They were either, either running and hiding, or they had been captured, and they were living in captivity. That's where we get the whole book of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown into the fire. All of that comes from people who were captive uh, and turned into uh, slaves into Babylon. And so Babylon now, that they, Babylon for, uh, for years and years and years, Babylon ruled the world. And then in 539 BC, so you know, roughly about 70-ish years, um, Babylon, that Jerusalem had been wiped out and they were in captivity to Babylon about 70 years, then Babylon was overthrown as well. And so now this nation of Israel is not enslaved by Babylon, but now they're enslaved by the Medes and the Persians, a whole other country, okay? But they still stayed where they were. All right, so soon after Babylon was overthrown by these two nations, these nations allowed a small group of people to go back to Jerusalem. And you know what they allowed them to do? We talked about this last week. They allowed them to rebuild the temple. And this was very significant. If there's no temple, then that means there was no sacrifice taking place in Jerusalem. No sacrifices taking place in Jerusalem. Then 500 years later, when Jesus shows up on the scene, then that means Jesus cannot die for our sins. So the temple had to be rebuilt and this nation allowed them to go back and rebuild the temple. Now, this was about 536, 536 years before Christ shows up on the scene. They rebuilt the temple in about 15 years. And that was the very temple that Jesus would be walking through, worshiping in, the very same temple 500 years later. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. And because the temple was there, then Jesus was able to fulfill what he needed to do for us. Now, let's go to December of 444 B.C., 444 years before Jesus was born. The Israelites had now been in captivity under the, the, Babylon, uh, under the Babylonians and then also the Medes and Persians now for 100 years and 61 years. Those, that's several generations. The temple had been destroyed for most of that. They had been enslaved. Jerusalem fell. That's where Daniel and all of them were. So for 161 years, all they knew was slavery. 
And this is where we pick it up now in the book of Nehemiah, which follows what we just told you. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. This is written by Nehemiah. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. He said, I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Verse 3, they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace, and the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. That's what I told you about. It had been torn down, and the gates have all been destroyed by fire. Now, that was significant because that means those who had returned home to rebuild the temple were defenseless. They had no way to protect themselves against the enemies around them, and they could come in and destroy the temple again. So this was significant. In verse 4, he says, When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days... I mourned and I fasted. So at this point, we're understanding that Nehemiah understands the stress that we have in life. He's feeling that stress. He's a slave in this foreign land, and his, some of his family has gone back to rebuild the temple, but they're not doing well. The temple's been rebuilt, but the people are not doing well because they're open to uh, attack. And he feels overwhelmed. I mean, he has moved, he is grieving and, and crying and upset for days. He feels overwhelmed. But look at what it says. For days, he said he mourned and he fasted. And then look at that last phrase, and prayed to the God of heaven. Here's our bottom line for today. You're going to hear it several times as we talk about this story. We're going to encourage you to do what Nehemiah is trying to do here. When we get overwhelmed, the simple bottom line of today's message says this. Do the next right thing and trust God with the rest. When you are overwhelmed in life, this is what Nehemiah did. This is what we can learn from this. Do the next right thing. And trust God with the rest. Whatever is the next right step. We have a tendency to want to shut down and push things away and to make excuses. But we're saying do what Nehemiah did. And whatever is the next right thing. The next wise thing in your life. Just one step. And whatever it is, take that one step. You don't have to take a hundred steps. Whatever is the next right thing, do that. And all of these things that are overwhelming us, we have to simply learn to trust God with the rest. Do the next right thing. Here's what Nehemiah did. He prayed. He prayed. The next right thing. He mourned for days. He was fast. He, he was upset. He was crying. The next right thing was simply to say, God, I, I've got to give this to you. As we pray, it's, a, it's, it's how we, we talk to God, it's, and he's listening to you, and we simply adore him, and we confess our sins. We say, God, this is where I've blown it. This is where I've messed up. And we say, God, whatever your plan is in this, I want in on it. I may not understand it, but I want to move in your direction. So here's what Nehemiah was saying. He was praising God for who he was. 
He was confessing their wrong that, that the nation had committed against God. When he prayed, this is what he prayed. He adored God. That's a form of worship and praise. He confessed sin. He said, this is where I've blown it and I've messed up, God. And then he said, God, I want in on your plan. And then as he prayed, he said this, will you please return us from exile? He asked God, will you return us from exile? And by the way, will you let the king be kind to us? You're going to understand that in just a moment. The next right thing for us many, many times when we're overwhelmed is to stop and simply pray to God. Adore him. Praise him. Confess our sins to him. Tell God, I want in on your plan, whatever it is, I want in, even if I don't understand it. And then we can bring before him, God, if I were making a plan, this is what I would say. And we can say, God, would you do this? And he may or may not do that, but that's where we are trusting God with the rest. Do the next right thing and trust God with the rest. That's exactly what Nehemiah was doing. So I just summarized for you the prayer that Nehemiah had. Now let's pick it back up in chapter 2 of Nehemiah. This is after the prayer, chapter 2, verse 1. Early the following spring. Now notice. God did not answer his prayer immediately. He had to wait months. Now, he didn't wait a lot of months. It was from December to the spring. So it was just a few months. But it was not instantly. A lot of times when we pray, we say, God, and Nehemiah did the same thing. When he prayed, he said, God, will you do this today? And God didn't do it that day. Sometimes God doesn't do it at all. But in this case, God did three months later. So what do we do? We do the next right thing, and we simply trust God with everything else. Early the following spring, it says, in the month of Nisan, here we go, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving, this is Nehemiah, I was serving the king his wine. So he was a cupbearer to the king. I had never bore, never before appeared sad in his presence, not because he was never sad. He just never had appeared sad because if you appear sad before the king and he doesn't like it, he'll just have you killed. That's just what they did. And so he had never, ever before appeared sad before the king. So verse 2, so the king asked me, why, why are you looking so sad? That was He didn't know what the response would be, but that's what he said. Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled, he said. And then, for some reason, Nehemiah was terrified, not knowing what the, uh, the result was going to be. But when we're overwhelmed, what do we do? We do the next right thing, and we trust God with the rest. Verse 3, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? So now he just lays it out there. For the city where my ancestors are buried, it's in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked me, well, how can I help you? Okay, all we can do, all we can do is the next right thing. Whatever the circumstance arises, and we're feeling overwhelmed, the next right thing. And we have to trust God with the rest. And here we go, Nehemiah said, 
with a prayer to the God of heaven, he replied. Do you understand how this kind of works? Even in our daily lives, a lot of times the next right thing is a prayer to God. Backed up with some kind of action. Did you notice he's praying to God at the same time he's now addressing the king? I have a hard time multitasking. But there's one thing that we all can do as we are under pressure and overwhelmed. We can, in our hearts, without anyone else knowing, we can call out to God. At the same time, we're speaking to somebody else and we're under pressure. And that's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. What is it? Do the next right thing and trust God with the rest. He said, with a prayer to the God of heaven, verse 5, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant. So he just goes out. He'd do the next right thing. All he can do is ask. So he's going to ask, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Verse 6, the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, well, how long will you be gone? When will you return? He says, after I, were told, after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. This was miraculous. All we can do is the next right thing, no matter the circumstance, no matter how it turns out in this sense, it turned out in his favor. But for us, it doesn't always turn out in our favor. But all we can do is the next right thing and trust God with the rest. Verse 7, I also said to the king, he didn't stop there. What? And so the king agreed to that. So what's the next right thing? Well, keep at Here we go. Do the next right thing. Trust God with the rest. Verse 7, I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. In other words, guarantee me safe travel so no one will harm me. All he can do is ask, do the next right thing and trust God with the rest. Verse 8, and please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's force, instructing him to give me timber. In other words, will you please also send me, guarantee me safe travel, and will you give me all the supplies that I need? Will you pay for them, king? <laughs> will you send me to rebuild the walls and give me safe travel, and will you give me all the supplies that I need in order to do it? All we can do is the next right thing and trust God with the rest. Even if these answers were no, we just simply do the next right thing and trust God with the rest. It goes on to tell us that the king granted all of those requests. Verse 9, when I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I, did, I delivered the letters. And he goes on and tells that story. Look at verse 10. But when Sanballat and the, we've got these horrible mean guys here. And they've got horrible names. Horrible guys with horrible names. And they were upset. They were angry. Because they did not want to see Jerusalem. These guys were, were kind of leading other areas uh, and countries around. And they were upset. They didn't like what they saw happening. Verse 11, it says, so he made it. He arrived in Jerusalem, and three days later, now, when he's overwhelmed, 
what are we saying that Nehemiah does? The next right thing and trust God with the rest. Verse 12. I slipped out. This was three days later. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. If I had not told anyone about the plans that God had put, I didn't tell anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. Verse 13, after dark, I went through the valley gate. So in other words, he's going all through the area looking at the destroyed walls, looking at the destroyed gates, and it is overwhelming the amount of it. Can you imagine a small handful of people trying to build walls around an entire city and the gigantic gates that protect all the entrances? This was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. He went and looked at everything. But what is he doing? He's not making excuses. That's, that's often our tendency when we get overwhelmed. He's just simply doing the next right thing. He's doing the next thing and then trusting God with everything else. Trusting God with the rest. So he didn't talk to anybody. He simply went out and inspected everything around. And then he had a meeting. The next right thing. He did another step. He didn't do all this at once. He did the next right thing. So he had a meeting and he says, here's the situation. Here's what's going on. And he told them about how God had allowed him to come. And each step of the way, God had just kind of led and guided and helped. And he tells him the story. I'm doing the next right thing. We're trusting God with the rest. Now, these two guys found out what was happening. They heard. They heard what was going on. They heard about the plan. And they began to bring pressure to Nehemiah and to the Israelites. They're like saying, what are you doing? Why are you rebuilding these walls? You're a bunch of idiots. And so... He does the next right thing. He just simply says, you know what? The God of heaven is going to help us. I don't really know what's going to go on, but I know this. God is going to help. And it may not turn out the way I want it to, and it may not be my plan, but I know this. God has a plan, and I want in on it. So we're just going to do the next thing that we know to do, and we're going to trust God with everything else. And that's what he does. That's how they did what they did. That's how they made it. They simply trusted God. They did whatever small thing they could do next and trusted God with everything else. And as soon as they did that small thing, then they did the next thing. The next right thing and trusted God with everything else. It doesn't mean that God's going to give us all of our requests as it worked out here for Nehemiah. It doesn't mean it's going to happen smoothly, that it's going to be easy, that it's going to be pain-free, that we will not suffer. There's no guarantee in this life that we won't suffer. In fact, I believe that Jesus puts it in the New Testament that because he suffered for us and died on the cross, that it's a guarantee that we're going to suffer. But we just simply have to do the next right thing and trust God with everything else. It doesn't mean that if we do the next right thing and trust God with the rest, it doesn't mean that we won't lose our job. We may still lose a job. 
We may still get into trouble with our finances and money. We may still have a relationship that disintegrates and that goes away. We may still have problems with extended family. You may still have problems even within your very own family. It doesn't mean that if we're doing the next right thing and trusting God with the rest that everything works out. It just simply means that we may not understand what's happening, but if we do the next right thing and trust God with the rest, that we are journeying with Jesus. I I believe that none of us here can say that we've been in captivity for 160 years. That's, this was many generations of captivity. And they could have looked at that and said, well, God must not be with us. And, and how can we trust him with the rest when he hasn't gotten us out of captivity? They had been conquered for 160 years. But they just simply had to continue doing the next right thing and trusting God with the rest. We just have to quit the right things. And this morning we're encouraging you to quit being overwhelmed. Do the next right thing and trust God with the rest. Why can we trust God with the rest? We can trust God with the rest because he made a covenant with Abraham in the Old Testament. And when they make a covenant together, when a covenant is made, they would take an animal and sacrifice it and cut it into parts. And they would separate those parts. So blood, it was kind of bloody. Blood was all over the place kind of, but the animal was in pieces. And then the two parties would walk between those pieces and meet in the middle. And then they would basically say this, what has happened to this animal, may that happen to me if I don't fulfill my part of this covenant. And as they walked, it was kind of a figure eight. They were walking between the pieces of this animal. Then they would come together. If, what has, if I don't fulfill my part of this covenant, then may what has happened to these animals happen to me. You know the crazy thing? When God made that, he made a covenant just like that with Abraham. When he made that covenant with Abraham, he didn't allow Abraham to walk with him. God walked alone. In other words, he was saying, you know what? You're not going to be able to fulfill your end of this thing, but I'm going to fulfill mine. And he walked the part. It's amazing. It's in the Bible. It talks about again, God walked through the pieces and he made a covenant with Abraham. But he didn't let Abraham walk. You know what? God made a covenant with Moses. He said, Israelites, and he allowed the Israelites to make this covenant with him. They said, we will follow your laws, God, and we will worship only you. And God said, I will, as long as you do that, I will protect you and keep you safe. Well, we know how that story went, don't we? The Israelites continued to break their end of the covenant, but guess what? God knew that was coming. He was just letting them know that they were not strong enough to ever keep God's standards. And guess what? Neither are we. We have forever failed God's standards, and so have I, your pastor. I have as well. And that's why God had all along planned a new covenant. That was the old covenant. 
one that he knew would not be sufficient, but it was there to reveal to them that they could not keep God's laws. They all sinned. They all failed. And we have too. And so God made a new covenant. But this time, an animal was not sacrificed. God sacrificed himself. And this time, again, he did not allow the people to walk with him. He walked it alone. In fact, all of his disciples ran away. And he walked alone carrying his cross to the hill where he would be crucified for us. And there Jesus died for us. He walked there for us. He died on the cross for us. And it was no light, easy death. It was horribly gruesome. In fact, the Bible predicted that Jesus, by the end of this, would be unrecognizable as a man. And so he was. In fact, when Jesus came back to life three days later, he was still unrecognizable. He was so mutilated, he was still unrecognizable. But after he was dead, by his plan, three days in the tomb, then he rose again and came out breathing he sat down and ate meals with some of his disciples, showed himself face to face to over 500 people who then he charged with the, the duty and the task of go and tell the world. And guess what? That is what we are still doing this day. The Bible tells us this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He said, for my yoke is easy. It's easy to bear. The burden I give you is light. Listen to what else. He said in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said this. He told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And this morning, I'm telling you this. When we are overwhelmed, we have to do the next right thing and trust God with the rest. And for some of you this morning, the next right thing for you is to simply say to God, God, I need to give my life to you because you died on the cross for me. You purchased my life with your blood. And three days later, you rose again out of that tomb claiming victory over death for me. And if you believe that for the first time, your next right thing may simply be to say, God, I want you to have my life. I want you to be my boss, my master, my king, my Lord. You now tell me what to do. I have been making all my decisions on my own, but now, God, I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to surrender myself to you. And if for the very first time you're doing that, on the back of your connection card, there's a place to say, for the first time, I'm really becoming a follower of Jesus. It's on the back side under the letters A, B, C, D, E, F. 
If that's you today, mark that box and make sure, please make sure I have a good contact phone number for you. I want to shoot you a text. I want to give you a call. I won't bother you. I promise I won't bother you. I just want to encourage you. I'll shoot you a text if that's better. If that's you this morning, mark that. And then here's something we can all do. The letter A on the back of your connection card. As I'm talking, finishing this up, I'm going to ask the band to make their way to the front. For you, the letter A. This is something we could all do, if you will. It says, I'm going to do, I'm going to do my best to do simply the next right thing, moment by moment. I don't have to take a thousand things on at once, but just the next right thing. Moment by moment, and I'm going to try this week to trust God with the rest. Moment by moment, just do the next right thing and trust God with the rest. And now, as you leave today, in just a few minutes, we're going to give you a little pack, and there's a card inside. Don't let it fall out. We want you to have that card because that card is a prayer card for you this week. Take it and put it somewhere where you can Pray this to God and you can be encouraged by some scripture. But right now I just want to close this as we move to a musical portion of our worship. I just want to to offer a prayer that just simply says, God, I, I need your help when I'm overwhelmed. And we call it a me too prayer. You just simply, in your heart, if what I'm saying echoes what you feel, you just simply say, me too, God, that's me too. And at the end of this prayer, then we're going to lift our hearts and our voices to God in worship. Let's pray. God, my Father, I so often feel overwhelmed. It seems as soon as I decide to allow you to make changes inside of me that, that the evil one gives me excuse after excuse just to stay the same. God, I need strength to quit making excuses and to do what I already know to do. God, I recognize that delayed obedience is really disobedience. God, I desire to read and trust in your word as I act today on what I know that I need to do. Father, as I do what I know that I need to do right now, I'm trusting you to handle all the rest, those things I don't understand and can't control. Only you can handle, God, what I can't. Only you can walk me through things beyond my control. I simply need to do now what I know to be the next right step. One day at a time, one moment at a time, I will do the next right thing, God, and trust you with the rest. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.